Oral history has been important to humans forever. Speaking our histories to each other is how we learn about nature, each other, and where we all come from. It's an essential part of being human and passing our history on to the next generation. Now, in the internet age, oral history takes place less around a campfire and instead happens more often with the aid of technology. On today's episode, we're going to take part in that oral tradition and share the story of how high CBD strains began in America. Like lightning striking twice in the same place, in the early 2000s, one line of genetics bred by legendary cannabis breeder Lawrence Ringo was showing high percentages of cannabidiol. At the same time, a strain startled everybody by testing high in CBD at the Spanibus competition in Spain. These two sets of genetics soon came together in Northern California, and American CBD was born. If you enjoy hearing frank discussions that dive deep into cannabis health, business, and technique, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. Every week, you'll receive a new podcast episode delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week. You know, social media sites are becoming very unreliable in showing folks every post they want to see. So sign up for the Shaping Fire newsletter to make sure you don't miss an episode. We really don't want our relationship with you to be mediated by Facebook. My guest today is Kevin Jodry, founder of Wonderland Nursery in Humboldt County, California. Wonderland is easily the most important cannabis genetics hub in the United States. Experts come from every part of the world to meet with Kevin and share genetics, techniques, and stories. Kevin was also a close friend of Lawrence Ringo and was present to see CBD arise in America firsthand and help it along. Today, Kevin's going to tell us about those first two years of CBD and how these early cultivars made their way into the hands of breeders, growers, and patients throughout the country. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Los. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, pleasure to have me on the show, Shango. Yeah, so glad you could make the time. So, you know, let's like get right into it, right? Because, you know, I've heard you tell parts of this story before, and I'm really excited to, you know, hear it for myself, but but also to share it with the audience. So the, the small part of the story that I know is that, you know, CBD uh, coming to the United States or, or starting to be focused on there in Northern California was kind of happening two ways at the same time. Your, your friend, uh, Lawrence Ringo, was starting to find CBD in some of the lines he was breeding. But then at the same time, there was um, there were these seeds that came from Spanibus uh, through Pure Analytics, and so so there were some seeds coming from Europe as well. So take us back to those early days and explain how you know everything got started up there. Well, you you know when you're talking about CBD, if you just go back to 2007. Uh, scientists believe that the CBD uh, had been bred out of cannabis for psychoactive use and that there was this belief that there was nothing over, you know, maybe 2% CBD in existence. And Harborside in 2008 uh, funded uh, Steep Hill. They created their own laboratory and they detected something called a stinky purple, which put them at 4%. So all of a sudden they started saying, hey, wait a second, CBD does exist in the world. At the same time, about 208, a guy named uh, Wade, Wade Lauder created Harlequin, and Harlequin was basically a one-to-one. And so he used genetics that he had, and he created one of the first CBD clones, and he released it through Harborside, and they started to put it out in small quantities, you know, release 10 and 20. Mm-hmm. At that same period in time, you have two individuals that are doing breeding, and it's it was Jaime from Resin Seeds out in Spain, and it's it's Lawrence Ringo in Northern California. So 
the Spain, the Spain genetic group is we're going to call that canatonic, and everything coming out of Lawrence Ringo was based off of the Sawa tsunami that he created. But these two individuals, completely unrelated, completely unconnected, both of them started to work on lines that were CBD dominant, but neither one of them, I don't think, knew it at the time. The 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 cutting that they worked on in Spain came up at Spanibus with the five percent number, and it became very attractive. There was a doctor named William Courtney, another doctor out of Luxembourg, and Jaime from Resin Seeds all got together and said, hey, if we could bring these seeds into Northern California, we could work a breeding project and try to see if we can pull out some really high CBD with no THC because at that time, that was believed to be a loophole in terms of cannabis production. If we could get below the the THC numbers that, that are mandated by the DEA, individuals could then produce this almost as if it was hemp. And so Courtney was determined to find these these numbers. He believed that CBD was one of the missing components in individuals' health. So he, driving it from a medical direction, working with Jaime from Resin Seeds, they bring the varietals over to Northern California, and they bring them over to a guy named Dreddy Aaron. So Dreddy Aaron's a friend of mine. Dreddy Aaron takes all the canatonic seed stock, and he grows it all out, and he pulls out a bunch of different phenos, but the most famous pheno that got pulled out of it is ACDC. And so this 18 to 1 incredible phenotype was pulled out by Dreddy Aaron, and there was this huge uh, struggle over what to do with the clone because they believed that the clone had value. And, and so Courtney realized what he was working with, and he wanted to benefit from it, which he should because it, that's not a, uh, a bad thing. He is doing good work. He would like to get paid for this work because he's doing so much research on it. But they were trying to understand how do you get paid off of CBD when at that time nobody would take CBD pounds. You couldn't even sell CBD to a dispensary because no one knew what to do with it. If it didn't get you high, it had no value. There was no understanding of it. But we understood um, you know, on, a, on, a, on a, a human level that the CBD had incredible value and that once the patients got a hold of it, it would really start to do something for them. And so Dreddy Aaron – willingly took that ACDC cut and he gave it to me and at that time I was the cultivation director for the Humboldt Patient Resource Center in Arcata and I was running this large operation with this large clone distribution operation and I took that ACDC cut and we started to propagate it and put it into the, the public's hands. So that was where ACDC really originated and started making it into the public. And now it's the progenitor for – if you take a look at Charlotte's Web, if you DNA Charlotte's Web through Phylos, you'll see that the Charlotte's Web and ACDC are connected. So I doubt that, that Charlotte's Web is prior to ACDC. So we could say that Charlotte's Web is more than likely a derivative of ACDC. So ACDC really created this massive super CBD, ultra-low THC phenomenon that we're experiencing. And the, and the beauty of the story is that the guy that released it, Dreddy Aaron, he didn't try to, to, to hold – and imagine what this is worth right now. I mean we're talking about the CBD empire, and this guy willingly released this on his own. Um, and and through humanitarian uh, desire because he realized that as much as he would like to get paid too, he realized that if we were trying to use money to, to dictate the pace of the cutting moving into the world, it would completely slow down and actually probably destroy the progress that was about to be made. And so he made this incredible decision, releases ACDC into the market. We start to have super high, THC, super high CBD, super low uh, THC. At that exact time that this little phenomenon is going on, Lawrence Ringo 
is working on lines over in uh, in Humboldt. But what he was working on was he had grabbed – and I had to go with a cat and talk to her because I had got this a little messed up when I was talking to Jerry Whiting because, like I said, we all hung out and we worked together. But there's so many little pieces, and so I went and got it clarified from Cat. And where, where Ringo really got this going was he went and got seeds from uh, Mark Emery, and he got New York City – uh, diesel and sour diesel and he bred them together and it formed something called the double diesel and so he ran the double diesel for a while and at some point he picked up a clone called the ferrari cut from some loggers and he took the ferrari and he went back into the double diesel and he went back into a sour diesel and he rolled it multiple times and he ended up coming out with something that he called the tsunami that he really liked ringo had had a back injury as a child i think he was like maybe a young teenager and he hurt his back messing with his friends and so he's always had this back problem and so he was looking for cannabis that allowed him to uh, function and have pain relief but also have you know some good mental euphoria so that you're you know you're uplifted and he bred himself something that was really solid for him as a varietal and about that same time all this is occurring you know steep hill popped out in 207 about the same time samantha miller from pure analytics popped out her lab and samantha miller and ringo hook up and which was an incredible union because when they when they teamed up the the work that occurred from that point forward was just ungodly in CBD breeding. But Samantha and Jason, the the team from Pure Analytics, hooked up with Ringo, and they tested his sour tsunami, and it came out at eleven percent CBD. Wow. And I think he had seven. Yeah, it was high at that moment, and he had about seven or eight other varieties at that same time that were also CBD dom, and so. That was, you know, like I said, you're, you're, you're in the 207, 208 time. By the time we get to 211, so three years after this introduction, Ringo releases the first truly stabilized line. And when someone defines stabilized line in, in plant breeding or in, in plant terms, that means four phenotypical distributions. So every time I breed it, I'm going to get four very specific phenotypes out of it consistently. And so when, when Ringo was able to create a one in four CBD dominant line, he created the first CBD reproducible line, which was his Sour Sioux line. And so Ringo was taking his his uh, tsunami line and he started laying it into everything that he could find that was CBD dominant and other varieties to increase terp profiles. And he was working with Samantha Miller, and what Samantha Miller had pioneered was predicative testing. And so Samantha Miller was the first lab where you could go and find out your cannabinoid levels of the plant in vegetative form. And it allowed I, – I, I and Ringo were friends, but I went after CBD – I went after THC numbers. I was after high rec numbers. He was after high CBD numbers. So we used predicative testing to go after different directions in our breeding directions, and I used it to find exceptionally high THC ratio, exceptionally high THC overall level males, and Ringo was looking for these opposites, exceptionally high CBD DOM males. And so Samantha Mella, through her predicative work, allowed this process to suddenly speed up, and it went from having – Two varieties that were over, you know, 15, 16% CBD to the next year having over 80. So, you know, you, you were, you're talking about a breeding uh, 
speed that was just unbelievable. And so the 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 idea that CBD no longer existed to having you know now we have thousands of CBD dominant varieties in, in in less than eight years. Man, that's such a fast rise once it got kicked in. So from a <clears throat> from a from a botany point of view, was was THC and high levels of CBD. In, an, in the naturally occurring land races, and then guys like you who were breeding for THC were intentionally breeding out the CBD so that um, you know the THC was more dominant, or um, was was CBD just not in any real significance in the material you were working with at all? And so getting these these genetics uh, created like this infusion of CBD into your breeding lines. Well. The, the thing with the thing with CBD is from, from my own my own hunting through gene lines is what I found is that CBD really exists in Pakistan and portions of like you know maybe say southern Afghanistan and when you go through those gene lines is where you start to see incredible CBD populations and and so I always theorize that the people who lived along equatorial to 20 on the equator all those cerebral lines they they didn't need CBD which what I I call it you know medicine they needed cerebral up, uplifting because they were living in a beautiful area but when you're living between the 20 and the 30 on the parallel you're in some of the most intense climate on earth and those people are typically the hash producing regions desert regions and that's where you see the CBD Genetics because you'd say that those individuals choose cannabis that makes them feel good for their situation. And so for us in the United States, we have all these gene pools that come into the U.S. we work with. Predominantly, you see um, all THC modeling, but whenever we started to tap into anything that had Pakistani gene lines is where we started to see the CBD components come out. But CBD reduces the ability for THC to really lift you. So for high CBD in a recreational line, it's the absolute worst thing you can have. So we were trying to drive CBD levels down through perception because we didn't have the lab at first to prove it. But once we started to really get into the labs, being able to analyze and figure out, we started to see that within the entire population of cannabis, very specific populations were CBD dominant, and that was based off of the cultivators who were growing the strains to suit the needs of the population. And so individuals historically have always cultivated cannabis to suit their needs. So when we started to really look at the gene lines, we realized it wasn't distributed. It was cultivated specifically. So what was the genesis of the lines that came from from Europe? I think you said that you were referring it to as the, the, the canatonic, as the cornerstone. But the, you yeah. know, what what happened in Europe that, that you know, suddenly the, these, these lines were seen at Spanibus and then they found their way to Northern California. I mean, who was doing that work over there? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't on purpose. Oh. That's the irony. No, it wasn't. It was. A, it was. They, he did a, a G thirteen haze hybrid. So they did a G thirteen haze, which is two very. Uh, it's a. It's that's a true F one. You have an. You have an extreme d- dissimilar genetic material put together, and in that population, you started to have uh, high CBD. So when Jaime Jaime from Resin Seeds came over to NorCal with with Courtney, and we all hung out for a couple months, and and Jaime was trying to use that male that he had to tap into all these other genetics to try to see if he could put CBD in it, but it was hella funny because at that time no. Nobody wanted to touch CBD at all because there was no market for it. I mean, none. 
Right. So no, so people weren't knowing how to use it yet. So he was he was you know not only. Um, you know, very helpful, but he was also visionary, seeing that, you know what, we're ahead of the curve on this. Once we start educating patients, they're going to be all over clamoring for it. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I would, I don't know if I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say, I mean, he was a, he's a bright guy, but I don't know if he was visionary as much because visionary would say he, he believed CBD was valuable and he went and created it where he went and said, listen, um, let's go chase a direction. He more, he really f- had a cutting that he entered into a competition and it came out with these numbers and they said, holy shit, we didn't realize the line had this potential. And remember, everything we're talking about is because laboratories exist from this minute forward. So if laboratories weren't in the, in this, in this conversation, none of us would have a clue what we were looking at. So are you are you saying that that when he entered um, the G thirteen haze into Spanibus, he did not know about the high CBD levels, but it was when it was tested as part of the competition that he got these results, and everybody was blown away. Bingo! Oh my gosh, what a lucky break! Well, look at look at look at Lawrence. I mean, Lawrence wasn't breeding for CBD in terms of per se, like, hey, I am breeding for CBD. I mean, shit, we, we barely knew about the damn cannabinoids eight, ten years ago. I mean, really, really, we really we we were so ignorant ten years ago. It's mind bending, and we just knew what we liked. And so Lawrence knew that this cannabis made his back feel good. And I remember when we were sitting at the table in the shop, me, Samantha, and Lawrence, and he was just like, God damn, I can't believe I have such high CBD alleles in my lines by fact that I chose it because it made me feel good. So when, when Jaime brought, uh, brought the strains over, had he made um, seeds from his cut and he brought the seeds or did he actually yeah, yeah, bring they, his own cut? Both. He brought the male cutting and he brought seed stock. Wow. So did did he just bring one cut, or did he bring like a handful of cuts in case you know it didn't make one of them didn't make the trip well? He just brought the male. Well, he brought he brought plants, but it was just the male. The only the only plant that came over as a plant form was the male that he had. But everything else came as seed stock because the problem with this is remember it's a true F one, and so you're going to see incredible population uh, dissimilarity and what we saw was uh, CBD from 20 to THC 0 to the exact opposite THC 20 CBD 0 so you know the canatonic line was all over the place you had to go through this massive line to find anything that made sense that's why CBD was so difficult was that they they didn't have the ability to find the males that carried the high CBD allele and so you couldn't you couldn't stabilize the trait until the laboratory really started to give us that ability and then once they had the ability to start driving the direction they could get more of a consistency one in four is where we, we were trying to go but the canatonic is still a train wreck if you breed into it you know it's it's all over the place and you have a lot of the phenotypes are basically commercial hemp hay coming out of the haze line that has some of the worst quality terp profile you could envision and it makes it great for just a a super you know an extraction where you're going to add a terp or add it to food but for people who want to consume it as a product you know it, it a lot of it is you know the quality of the experience and that's where some of the canatonics lacked and that's where lawrence was able to kind of come in and develop stuff like the Swiss tsunami where he had these beautiful orange mandarin terpenes in a 15 to 1 
And so you got to remember that that extraction and the labs all kind of touch CBD, where they all begin at the exact same time. And so extraction is really new. And so people weren't extracting CBD eight years ago. They were smoking it as flour. And so what we were doing is we were chasing through CBD lines to find CBD lines that had the right ratio, the right total but also the right terp profile that was palatable because on a lot of these hemp-haze combos, they just taste like shit, and nobody wants to smoke it. Right on. So let, let, well, let's go to our first break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about um, how you guys churned through um, all of the seeds that you were getting to, to find the stuff that you wanted to work with. Um, you are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Kevin Jodry, founder of Wonderland Nursery. Now that the health benefits of terpenes have become well-known in the cannabis industry, people everywhere are looking for the purest terpenes without adulterants. The problem with most terpene providers is that they're not sourced naturally and instead are made as a byproduct of refining petroleum, and that's so sketchy. The terpenes sold by True Terpenes are entirely different. They are certified organic, non-GMO, and food grade. That means that they are extracted from real plant sources. There are no solvents of any kind. They are distilled only with steam. That's right, only steam. In fact, terpenes from true terpenes are so pure that you can eat them. Not only that, but you can stack them with better results too. What I mean is, other companies' terpenes have got a few percent of impurities, and when you stack those terpenes to make your blend, you're adding a variety of impurities that degrade your final product. True terpenes also have strain-specific terpenes for a wide range of cannabis strains like Durban Poison, Sunset Sherbet, and Granddaddy Purple. True Terpenes has robust and supportive customer service, so your questions will get answered fast and efficiently. If you've shopped for terps before, you know how rare that is. So whether you want to cup your hands to smell some beta-caryophylline to calm down after getting too high, or if you want to dab some pinene so your lungs feel fabulous and your mind feels liberated, True Terpenes will provide you with a truly natural experience. If you are a cannabis product developer, these are the terps you want to add to your oil or edible or capsule or whatever. True Terpenes are simply the best your money can buy. Don't try and make a premium product with substandard terps. Choose True Terpenes for a top-shelf experience. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash true terpenes to find out more or click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los. And our guest this week is Kevin Chaudhry, founder of Wonderland Nursery. So before the break, Kevin, we were talking about how um, uh, both Jaime bringing genetics, CBD genetics from Europe, and also there in Northern California, Lawrence Ringo had both found CBD in the lines that they were breeding very possibly because of the advent of all of this new CBD testing and the arrival of the first cannabis labs. So so once these um, these original CBD strains found themselves into your hands, what did you all do to to churn through all of the possibility of the genetics to find what you wanted to make the the, the spine of the lines you guys were working on? Well, I I was running a dispensary at that moment, and if you go back, you know, eight eight years ago, everything was still kind of you know uh, risky. Now we're in legal land; things are a lot different. But then things were risky, and so what we were doing at that dispensary was we were banking a lot of the genetics for these operations where we would hold copies of stuff so that there was duplicate copies, and then the the relationship between William Courtney and the and the dispensary was really pretty good. 
And so William Courtney had had, had uh, communicated uh, – at the same time we did the CBD, we also did all the juicing trials. And so William Courtney and the dispensary was pretty connected, and it, it was a good relationship in the sense that we were trying to understand what the value of the CBD stuff was because you got to remember there was nobody – nobody knew anything about this. And so I said I can dedicate X amount of space to this in my shop so we can start to hold and do the sifting. And, and it was really just cracking seeds, growing them out. And doing and doing the test on them to find which one of these varieties actually had marketable qualities. There was another. There was when the sift was done. There was another plant. And it's out there. I lost it myself. But there was a, there was another uh, progeny called C6, and the C6 was Canatonic six. I don't remember the exact number of uh, ACDC. It might have been like you know Canatonic fifty two. But Canatonic 6 was the exact same numbers as ACDC. It was an 18 to 1, but it was probably like you know 20 times the production level. Mm-hmm. It was this massive cactus of a plant. Same thing, tremendously terrible turp profiles, but supernatural production. And we would use the dispensary to churn through and sift through. And then once, once we figured out which one of these phenos had the varieties, you know, the ratios we wanted, we, we were able to stabilize on it. At that time, we didn't, we didn't know what to do with, with keeping uh, ratios where what do you – what's the desire? We kind of know now like a 1 to 1 and a 2 to 1 and a 10 to 1 and a 20 to 1 kind of give you some, some really good coverage where you don't have to have 300 different CBD strains. We can have some basic ratios that give us relatively changing amounts of THC, and the two-to-ones and the one-to-ones are giving us enough THC so that the individual has efficacy in that direction, and with the others, we can work. And so it was just – it was trying to understand at that time, did we need to have – I mean, Christ, we were trying to hold you know, 50, 60, 70 copies of it, meaning a one-to-one, a 1.5-to-one, a 2.1, 2.5-to-one, because we didn't know where the values were. And so what we knew was the ACDC and the C6 had by far the greatest – you know, the concentrations where they were 18-plus – but uh, at the same time, you know, we didn't we didn't know what to do with them. But once we started to release them and they started to go into the med situation, it started to really uh, pop out. What we started to do too was that we started to have people come in and access all these CBD lines that we were given out from the dispensary, and you started to see all these people breeding the CBD lines into their existing lines. Meaning we were giving them ACDC cuts, C six cuts, Harlequin cuts. Lawrence had provided the Swiss Sioux. He had given me, uh, I, I want to say, like a, maybe a Harley Sioux, a Harlequin tsunami that he had done. And we were, we were providing those to people all over the place, you know, say eight years ago, the beginning of the, the CBD to get it out into the market. And, and that's really where you see all these hybrids today that are coming. It was that push from that time period. So it was really pretty neat to be able to sift through this stock and pull out phenotypes. It's just that you know, the irony of it is, is that we just didn't – nowadays, if we could repeat it, if we could repeat the process right now where we had a lot better understanding of what it was we were trying to hunt and look for, it would be a lot more effective. You know, you, you do the best you can with the knowledge you have at the time. But boy, this was the beginning of the whole CBD phenomenon, and and we really were just trying to understand, you know, what do you do with it? What what works? What levels? It was it was so new that I'm sure we made plenty of mistakes in the process. And I, I wish I could go back and do it twice, but hey, you, you got what you got. Yeah, totally. And you know, one thing that I think is important to point out is now a second time the importance of um, the new cannabis labs, right? Because, you know, even recognizing uh, that there was CBD in the cuts, you know, instead of having 
to just, you know, uh, toke them and, and, and figure out how it made your body feel. Well, you were testing for the CBD and so you knew it was there. But now the predictive breeding you were able to do where, you know, you just had to crack a seed and then in a few weeks you could test the leaf and you didn't have to run it all the way through flower. I mean, the amount of time that you saved sifting through these seeds is just monumental. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's unreal. I, I still do it constantly now, but there was there's no way you can drive a project that's cannabinoid-based accurately through feel. I mean, I'm, I'm, I got, I've, been, I've been growing for 38 years, which, which isn't the longest grower I know, but man, that's a long time, and, and I still have to use lab tests to really understand what it is that's affecting me because when you change the ratios or you shift the, the minors, it changes the effect in perception, and all of a sudden, you really don't know what you're looking at, and so the lab let us have some true accuracy, and if we had had you know, phylos technology then – it would have allowed us to understand what made up the plant we were looking at so that we could really have said, hey, wait a second, go to, go to chase Pakistan genetics. I mean if I want CBD, I go after Pakistani genetics specifically. I don't even waste my time looking anywhere else because I know that the Pakistani lines, the real Pakistani lines from Pakistan that I get shipped in from the Tira Valley, those things are so CBD rich it's not funny. And so, you know, nowadays we know where to look to find the populations. It's just, you know, trying to access it. But man, if we had had, you know, phylos working in conjunction with pure analytics, we would have been able to figure out how to get the numbers high and then where the lines existed from that contained those genes and we would have been able to get out of all the 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 muddling covering genetic form that was in the in the way of the cbd direction it's the same when we're running you know high thc lines i'm trying to get rid of stock that's going to slow down that ability for the thc to stack up i can only have so many molecules in the basket and you know maybe 30 35% total of everything maybe you know and if we add terps maybe 40 with terps complete and so if that's the total that can be present i'm trying on a on a on a thc level to get rid of all my cbd but on on the conversation we're having we're trying to get rid of all the thc in those forms and in those in specific genealogical locations and lines, you can do it. And so the laboratory right now is just blowing my mind on how I'm able to see the picture. So I'm taking varieties that I used to look at and I could DNA them and I could say, oh, I got you. This is connected to this. So maybe we should chase something over here. Right on. You that know, makes it, sense. So, so let me ask you about the um, the the strains that you're the seeds that you were pulling from Pakistan because you knew they were CBD rich. You know, we talk a lot on this show about how often uh, genetics from you know the U.S. and Europe find their way into these small communities because they want to trade. You know, our new school hybridized genetics locally, and we want to get their land races. And what's happening is that you know uh, some of our genetics are finding their ways to, you know, Pakistan or Jamaica or India or wherever. And, um, and they, um, they're corrupting the local land race genetics. So, you know, the people that, that you know who continue to go to Pakistan to try to find more of this, these original land races to work with, are they finding that it's, that, that, that the CBD aspect of it is becoming corrupted yet? Well, no, because you're, you're the, the the difference between you know Pakistan and Afghanistan and a lot of places is that, I mean, very little Europeans are hanging out over there for the last ten fifteen years, and very little Americans are hanging out over there. Mm. 
So those are places where you know they're really difficult to get stock in and out, and a lot of the stock is being replaced by opium. And so they're losing land race due to opium. It's places like South America, Central America, Africa. Those places are where the you know the euro and the and the North American genetics are infiltrating. And and people don't understand what land race means. And land race means non cultivated. It means that the plants they plants seeded and grew themselves for time. And because of that, it contains genetic information that says, hey, in this plant is the genes that said survive during drought, survive during a flood, handle pestilence, handle uh, uh, poor conditions. And all those survival genes exist and live within the gene pool. And what we do is we go into a land race line and we do something called a cultivated variety, a cultivar, and we pull something out of it that we like specifically and we monocrop it. And the problem is, is that we don't have any more of these land race populations to look through. So it's really similar to like when you're chopping the rainforest down, you've removed a lot of the genetic material to work with and you can't replace it. And so for us right now, it's why I'm so so caught up with the genetic stuff with phylos is that it's allowing me to relook at everything I'm touching to see what am I really looking at so that it makes it makes it you know worth your time to sift through if you're trying to find specific directions on your breed lines and for people that are working CBD or you know THC this is you know incredibly important you know that's interesting because to a certain degree the the violence in those regions is kind of protecting what is left of the CBD stock there naturally that well yeah a lot of the cannabis is being pushed out by poppies um, but since there's not a lot of Western folks showing up there for the time being, there's, you know, it's probably like a natural archive of CBD strains. Oh, guarantee, because you got to remember the, the, the people who live there that traffic, just like me, I'm from Humboldt County, so I'm a, I'm a trafficker, right? But I'm a cannabis consumer. And so my whole my whole existence began as a consumer, like I assume most Pakistani and Afghani people. And so to them, you know, they're growing and smoking what's 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 making them feel good. And if I'm living in in, a, in an environment like Pakistan, and I don't mean societally, I mean environmentally, where Pakistan hits like 135 degrees. I mean, you got like extremes in Pakistan that is so unreal. It might be some of the worst weather on earth. I mean, dry and hot and cold and holy Christ. So I think that the people there are still cultivating their outdoor strains to suit the desires and needs. It's just that, you know, we don't have an ability to go into these little villages and meet locals and say, hey, your family's been growing for the last 200 years in this little bowl here. Can I access some of your gene lines? And if we took it home, it would have been some really fiery stuff, but I guarantee it would have been some higher CBD populations than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, right on. That makes sense. Well, before we get into how uh, these these strains started finding their, their way into people's hands, let's take another short break. You're listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Kevin Jodry, founder of Wonderland Nursery. For anyone who is paying attention to cannabis medicine, it has become incredibly apparent that full extract cannabis oil, known to some as Rick Simpson oil, is the cornerstone of healing humans with medical marijuana. If you own a medical dispensary or retail store, you know that your customers are asking for it every single day. And if you have been working with patients and seeking out quality full extract oil in the Pacific Northwest, you know the provider Deep Green. Kat Jeter and her team at Deep Green have been making full extract cannabis oil and setting the standards for quality and exact dosing for years in Washington State. 
the Deep Green brand is known by patients and cannabis media as a premium quality provider for sick children, cancer patients, and others in need. At a time when there are no national standards for cannabis oil, ensuring a product is whole plant, quality assured, and lab tested is often a matter of knowing your source is reputable. Trust in a quality brand is essential when choosing a cannabis medicine that is going to be used concentrated and in volume by any patient, and especially those with weakened immune systems. Deep Green is looking for national brand partners to expand the availability of their legacy top-shelf cannabis oil to emerging medical and licensed states. Partners benefit from the Deep Green brand recognition and credibility, as well as ongoing customer and marketing support. Not only that, but Deep Green knows how to employ the 280E tax rule so you can deduct it all from your taxes. Working with Deep Green can provide the trust and authenticity too often pushed aside in favor of lifestyle products. Your customers can assure themselves that regardless of the state in which it is made, brand licensees adhere to the same strict standards that patients everywhere have come to expect from Deep Green. Deep Green licensing includes startup and capital planning, as well as operational and manufacturing instruction, as you'd expect. For more information on how your company, co-op, or medical dispensary can benefit from partnering with Deep Green to provide full extract cannabis oil to patients, go to shapingfire.com forward slash deep green to connect with Kat Jeter and her team. That's shapingfire.com forward slash deep green. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Kevin Jodry, founder of Wonderland Nursery. So before the break, we were talking about, you know, how the how the CBD strains were put together, how you sifted through all the genetics um, with the help of the, the, the new cannabis laboratories. You were you were able to really focus your genetic program and you found your, you know, your cornerstones in the Canatonic and the ACDC and um, the Swiss Sioux from Lawrence. So so now we're to a point that that you have this stuff and and people are starting to extract the CBD out of it. Um, how did the how did these strains come, uh, find their way into people's hands so that the, the 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 amount of breeders who were doing citizen science got so much bigger and and then that the strains found their way around the country. So you. You, you get stabilized sour sue around 211. 2012, we start getting all the clones to really move out. I took over another shop at that time, and I realized that the problem we were having with CBD being really put into the market was that people who were commercial producers were intelligent enough to understand the value of it, but people who were really medically needy were really too poor to really afford medicine. It was, it was something I started to notice as a dispensary operator where I started to realize that the true recipient was too poor to receive it. And so they weren't going to be able to really help themselves. And when you make medicine to give to people, it's usually too expensive to sustain at a high level. And so with cannabis, to me, so much of it is to be able to self-cultivate your medicine. And so what we realized was that these, these varietals needed to be um, pushed into the, the system, but they they had to be pushed into a system at an affordable rate, and I couldn't understand really how to figure out what affordable was, so we just figured we'd do it for free. 
And so over the last four years, you know, we distributed over about 110,000 CBD clones. And so that's through uh, the veterans groups, uh, any CBD collective, any person that could come to the shop could access any of the genes. And so over the last, you know, four years, we've been able to fill up and then in, in, in groups from all over the United States would send representatives who then would get an official California person who would come in and get, you know, with the ID and the 215. But it allowed the CBD genetics to move across the country because they were free. I didn't. I didn't charge any money for them. Is that the still large, the case? Oh, they're, they're no, we, we, yeah. we just had to stop in January one because the Prop sixty four came out, and so Prop sixty four says no products can be given away for free. So we're trying to figure out how we can work the taxes on it. Mm-hmm. But it it it's just something that I was really. Uh, I'm a strong believer in it that I'm somebody who's been a commercial cannabis producer most of his life. But when I got into med cannabis, I got really, really struck by how poor people who were sick were. I I really wasn't understanding of that situation. I was kind of insulated from it. I wasn't ill. Um, I'm busy working, so I don't see a lot of going on. And I realized when I got into this position, you know, like nine years ago, that the, the need for for compassion was incredible. And then the CBD thing was something that was so unbelievable for people who needed it for tumor relief, inflammatory issues, cancer relief. And I said, you know, let's just make it free. And so we were able to kick it out. But what it did was it allowed everyone, their brother, to get the clones. And if you were a large producer, we wouldn't give you trays of it. You, it, we focused primarily on people who were getting, you know, ten to twenty clones at a time. And it allowed us to just absolutely saturate the medical base with self-producers of their own medicine. And we allowed a lot of these people that were doing this to, to get genetics from Lawrence in seed form. Now, Lawrence had died. He passed away you know, probably three, four years ago. But when he passed away, I received a, a huge collection of his CBD genetics. And then I took that collection and spread that out into the system so that these genes were all in the world. And then people, you know, medical, elderly, they would get seed packs of CBD from Lawrence, and then they would get cuttings from me that were connected to the seed pack. And then I would help them with predicative and selection process so they could start to stabilize lines themselves. And so you started to have community groups of elderly that were doing their own CBD juicing programs, CBD medicine production, and they were able to do it in a group. I, I was able to tie them in with labs and other makers so that they could all work in a in a really cohesive fashion so that they could afford to produce the medicine at the level they needed. And it was such an – to me, it was the best thing I ever did in cannabis because it, it's what – it drove CBD throughout as far as I could stick it. And no one had to pay for it, so it allowed everybody to get their hands on it. And what it did was it took people who – or what I call mainstreamers, people who – what you're going to find in med cannabis is that typically med cannabis people aren't cannabis per se. If they were cannabis per se, they would already be on med cannabis. They would kind of integrate quickly. But when you come from med cannabis specifically, you're usually a non-med cannabis user. And when we were able to take the money away from the true CBD end of it, it – just absolutely shocked mainstream people and it made a lot of them cry because they were needy of, of of help and compassion and when they received it in such a human way, it shocked them and it changed their perception of us as a culture. And I know because I, I see the ripple of it through the communities and I was so grateful to be able to be part of that because – it, it's it's the ability for cannabis to be used intelligently by all people, and the stigma is what's screwing it up. And CBD to me was what allowed 
people in the mainstream to see us who are more rec users as normal where just because I like to be you know, infused with cannabis doesn't mean that I'm less of a human. And now that people who had medical issues were able to get cannabis and when they went to get it, they got it served to them in such an elegant, gracious way that there was no way they could look at us as, as being malignancy. And so that it, it was such a it's, it was such a beautiful synchronicity of goodwill and timing that, you know, I mean, no matter what takes place with the federal government right now, C B D is living in, you know, ten million homes. It's yeah. being grown everywhere. Yeah, and you know, because the conditions, the human conditions that C B D offers relief from are so pervasive and and so you know, they cause so many people to suffer. Um, it's a profound human gift to be able to give high CBD whole plant medicine to somebody who's sick and watch their spasticity stop, you know, help them, uh, you know, either, either cure their cancer or just help their symptoms. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's profound for people who work with patients to see the relief, but then to give them the relief for for no money because you're right patients you get broke fast because it's expensive being a patient um you know we we still see this every day uh as as more and more people get turned on to what cbd can do from them i mean heck that's even without even going into the states that are just medical now i mean you and i both live in rec states now and and we can start to see how people are, are starting to profit from it more but you know in the early days of every state it's just good growers you know putting a certain amount of their crop to CBD and giving it away. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. It was compassion. It's just like RSO, Rick Simpson oil. You know, Rick Simpson was a, a farmer who wanted to fight cancer. He he grew an acre. He distilled it. He gave it a shot. It turned out. He releases the recipe. You know, I, I he could have made a lot of money off it. You know, a hundred hundred ten thousand clones is a million hundred thousand dollars. So when that's a, that's a lot of money, but it, it's it's currency that is only has one value the currency of doing a social justice you really can't calculate it because you have no idea who's benefiting from it and so you know to be able to be part it's funny you know you for all of us in cannabis at a career like me i mean we were all criminals i mean christ we, we ran from 5-0 every step of the way and now you know we're all pretty normal and we can function and stuff but to be able to to be able to take part in society in a positive manner when you probably always wanted to like most of us did was an incredible experience and so some of this stuff right now is allowing all of us that had to live this weird duality of existence we can now be open and honest and cbd cannabis to me more than any other thing is what allowed the mainstream to accept cannabis at all because once they realized that cannabis was valid for their need now they can start to say, well, maybe it's valid for your need, and who's to say you're wrong once we start to find validity? And so we started to see radical changes in how mainstream looks at people who smoke cannabis, and I have the number of elderly that come to me for, for cannabis assistance is unbelievable because you know we're trying to explain to them how to use the products, how, to, how do you titrate your doses, how do you figure it out, and if, and if the elderly are in concern or if you're ill and you're concerned, we let you come in just apprentice at the shop, and we'll be able to help you and show 
show you and get you up to speed enough to where you're going to be able to go home and do your, 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 your cultivation work yourself and get some success. We try to set it up to where we put them in groups to where the CBD people always work in groups of three. And what it does, it allows you I, – I, I came up with the whole piece based off of the legal production amount of Humboldt County. And so I did all this R&D on my own, but I used Humboldt County's legal numbers to create an indoor model because that's where they have the most ability. Most people can do indoor but not outdoor. And so legally, you're allowed this X amount of space. So I created this little mini model, and I did all the R&D so I could understand how much came off of it. And that's basically the model we put everyone into, and it allows a couple of people to be able to cultivate a couple months of the year, and then the rest of the month, you don't have to cultivate. You just benefit from the material. Mm-hmm. And this the people who are, are older and elderly and they, they start to become weakened from their condition, they don't have to suddenly fail from production because they don't have assistance. So we, we started to tie the groups together and, and put people together, and, and I would just serve as the technical hub. And sometimes I would give them money to buy the tent, so I, we, I would find extra lights. or We would just do whatever we needed to do to facilitate. But, but it, it allowed these people to feel strong enough to self-build their little systems, and slowly, all of a sudden, you started to see regular individuals who never use cannabis suddenly have benefit from cannabis better than they ever had from mainstream pharmaceuticals, and they became some of the most vocal proponents of cannabis usage of anybody I know. I mean, when you convert mainstream people into cannabis users and they have a change in life without any decrease in quality of life, it is a, a change for all of us for the better. And for all of us that are commercial cannabis guys or you know career users, I mean, we needed the we needed the break. And it's funny, but CBD, which doesn't get you high, allowed everyone who wants to get high an, an ability to say so without having to feel like you're a drug addict and ashamed. Yeah, the best thing that ever happened for cannabis as a whole was, you know, the, the 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 pictures on TV of kids having seizures and then those seizures stopping. You know, I mean, it oh, to- yeah, it real. totally opened up a whole new world. So, so let me ask you about the the, the potential darker side of it, because like, you know, so far we've been talking about, you know, the the, the kind hearted growers who have been trying to put CBD in the hands of of patients. Um, but I can imagine that there were probably some opportunists that you came across who were, you know, grabbing the ACDC strain and renaming it and try to claim it as theirs or something like that. Did you did you come across much of that while you were in the in the process of spreading it out? Uh, not so much that they were trying to grab it as their own. It was just more a matter of you were seeing. What I got to see was I got to see people's intent. I mean, I've, I've been I've been in the drug game my whole life, right? So um, I'm no virgin to seeing shady. But I got to see some different shady where I got to see people who they realized the value of the CBD and that these people were basically a captive market, that they needed the product. And they would come to me and say, hey, listen, you know, we, wanna, we, we want you know, 20,000 clones from you so we could do this big production. We're going to do this thing. We're going to get all this money. And, and it was funny because it, it was – for a lot of us that are in cannabis, they believed the people that came to us to do this, they kind of believed that we were corrupt too. And it was weird because – you know we're 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 felony leveled you know cannabis growers that you know prior and so we have a history of being you know lawbreakers but 
we we none of us that were in cannabis wanted to do the scandalous shit and 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 push the big CBD product. And so what you got to see was this separation in cannabis, where all of a sudden it was people who were not in cannabis who came in with the ability to commercially uh, salvage this product and push it, and it was a direct war between them. And guys like us, Ringo, you know, the people who were trying to get the product into the hands of the people so that they could self-medicate, self-heal. And so, you know, it, you got to see this abuse of, um, of people. It's just – it's the same as you see with any abuse. And, and so it was, it was kind of weird because it was the first time I got to see it in cannabis. We've never had anybody really come in and, and be parasitic like that. We've never had you know anything that was quite like this where you had an ability to have a product that if you could get it below a certain THC level, you could sell it online. I mean that's where the whole you know, ECDC, this, uh, these, these CBD oils, well, all of a sudden it opens up the market for the entire fake Chinese hemp oil. Yeah, yeah. So you're having all this industrial-grade trash oil covered with pesticides and heavy metals being given to people who are, who are very ill. And so, you know, those are the issues with it. That's why I tried so hard to get the product into the hands of the people. And so many people I know did the same thing where we just drove it in. Samantha Miller and Jason from Pure Analytics, I mean, they Christ, they went on a crusade of uh, free speaking lectures where they toured everywhere talking so that people would be able to understand what is this thing, how do you use it, what do you do with it, where do you access it. So this way individuals would be able to get themselves out of that situation to where they weren't in such a, a, a potentially usury role. It's really interesting to consider how the, the the street price or the retail price, if you will, of CBD has has evolved and will continue to evolve over the next decade. You know, you, you were talking in the first set that when when you first had the high CBD stuff, you couldn't you know you couldn't give it away. The, the retailers didn't know what to do with it. People just want were looking for high THC, and then with you know increased education and of course the the, the super popular uh, Sanjay Gupta uh, TV uh, episode about it, you know suddenly everybody wanted it, and and because of the you know there's just not enough CB you know prepared CBD oil to go around to all of the patients that could use it so suddenly the the prices then skyrocketed not because people were necessarily trying to um you know, screw people over, but just because the market was pushing it because there was so little of it available. And now that's even more so in rec states where, you know, the, the first wave of licensed growers, I mean, they're going to go for the THC stuff because that, that serves the most people. But now, for example, in Washington, you know, there's just... You know, there's just barely enough of the CBD in the market to even say that it's in the market. So the prices are still high. But, you know, a couple years from now, there's going to be a lot more people growing it at the commercial and license level, and the price will come back down. But, you know, talk about a variable pricing of a product. My gosh, it's, it's not quite to the commodity level yet where it's, where it's as uh, inexpensive as some THC stuff is. No, but you know, it, you know where it's pricey is in banned states to, to mothers with kids who are dying. Yeah, and 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 so they're the ones that are just getting screwed on this. I mean, oh my God, talk about because the problem is that once they let the cat out the bag, that cannabis has positive effects, and it's not a panacea. It doesn't cure every damn problem, but it, it can sure do a lot for a lot. Well, then people who are having problems become curious because they're like, hey, they want to save their kid. And the problem is that it opens them up because they typically don't understand production quality. It's kind of like Rick Simpson oil to me. So, you know, for all, in Humboldt, it's a little different because all of us are large growers, 
right? And so if what we do is we take portions of our crops and we have it turned into Rick Simpson from people we know that are Rick Simpson makers. Now, now that 64 is here, we'll figure out how to work with this too. But in the years prior, for the last, say, so many years, we know people who do RSO production. And what they'll do is they'll donate their time and, they, and, and we pay for material. I donate the material, the, the cannabis, and we then produce RSO. And then we could give it to people who are, who, are, who are lower income, who are going through uh, tumor cancer because an RSO uh, treatment is really about you know, up, shit, sometimes up to six grand for, for a two-month shot. And so six grand is a tremendous amount of money for people who are absolutely wiped out. And so you know what you have is the grower community has typically carried a river of these people. And and grower community, we don't talk about it. We're not trying to get, um, hey, look, look at me, I'm doing a good thing. It's 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 a it's a it's a thing that's necessary because if we don't do it, the product won't be there. So if the guys that are growing weight aren't able to give up a little bit of weight. You, there, there's no subsidized medicine for the people, and it opens it up to these larger CBD type companies. But they're, you're paying some money. You're paying, you know, for a CBD cartridge in form. You know, you might be paying over a hundred bucks or something for a gram of oil to consume, and that's incredibly expensive. I think that's also why um, folks who need um, RSO, in, even in legal states, are still tending to find it in the casual or informal, unlicensed market because. You know, you know, most of the growers that I know who are growing specifically for patients, you know, they'll, they'll have their price for one gram. But if they know you have cancer and you're going to do the 60 grams over 90 days uh, regimen, um, you know, they, they tend to give you a price break because you're buying 60 grams at once and they exactly. know you're sick. Well, you know, that's that's not how it goes in the rec states because you're not allowed to give, you know, volume price breaks like that the way that the laws are so far. Exactly. And, so and it makes it very hard. Yeah, totally. Totally. Instead of buying 60 grams, you're buying 60 single grams, and so you're paying full price for the whole uh, for the whole lot of it, which is of course you know hitting the person who can afford it least. Yeah, totally, and that's that's the part that's so hard. And 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 the, you know, it, I'm not smoking cannabis because I have glaucoma. I like to get lifted mentally. I'm, yeah. I'm a spiritual smoker. And and hopefully when I have you know if I have, uh, ever have medical problems, cannabis hopefully will help me with that. But you know from being in my position all these years, what I see is if you're real med, you are having some real issues, and that's when you start to get caught up with uh, parasitic type individuals. And so the problem with cannabis is that cannabis is is, is almost traditionally always been pretty kind. The people in cannabis dealing with each other, and now we've changed it from a, a shared product to a commoditized product, and it's a question of you know how do you how do you still maintain the compassion that cannabis had? Because cannabis is not the normal. Everybody wants cannabis, but I still like cannabis. <laughs> and I would prefer if it remained that way. You know what I mean? And and I don't mind business. I'm about making money because I have to feed my children, but cannabis is so elegant. There's no need to diminish it with with shoddy, poor, cheap behavior. Right on. That's well said. So, so hey, I, I still want to talk about what you see next for CBD development, but let's take our last break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about that. You're listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Lose, and our guest this week is Kevin Jodry, founder of Wonderland Nursery. If you like podcasts like Shaping Fire, chances are that you'll like audiobooks too. Just like with podcasts, audiobooks speak to you, tell you stories, and teach you stuff. Here's the thing. Audible.com has an offer that I want to tell you about. Right now, they are offering a trial of their audiobook service for absolutely free. 
You can go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible and you'll get a free audiobook straight up. You can listen to it on your mobile device, computer, or download it and listen to it, you know, like anywhere. It's really simple. Of course, they want you to subscribe to their service after the free trial and enjoy audiobooks forever, but you don't have to. All you have to do to get the free audiobook of your choice is to just check out the service for free. And the service is pretty great. There are whole sections on permaculture, sci-fi, history, um, biography, hell. You can even listen to a book about card counting in blackjack. Whatever, it's all pretty rad. So that's the deal. Your first book is free. It's easy to sign up. It's easy to quit. And their online library of free books is pretty incredible. So just check it out. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible to find out more. Or just click on the link in this week's newsletter. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Lose. And our guest this week is Kevin Jodry, founder of Wonderland Nursery. So this has all been really inspiring so far, Kevin. And one of the things that we're all curious about is what CBD holds for the future. I mean, we certainly know that there are product developers coming up with new ways to get CBD into the human system to help, you know, bathe their endocannabinoid system with, you know, these healthy cannabinoids. But, you know, I know you come from a breeding background and there's just becoming more and more people interested in CBD and probably also breeding it. So um, I'd like you to like look into your crystal ball a little bit and, and let us know what you see forthcoming with CBD breeding and, uh, and, and where you might encourage people to look if they're, if they're looking to get involved, you know, breeding some lines themselves. I think, I think with uh, CBD breeding, what you're going to find is that as we start to become really uh, cognizant of the impact of the, the, the terpene profile on how we uh, perceive the effect, that you're starting to see people weaving CBD into a lot of the higher THC strains so that we can pull those terp profiles that we find so enjoyable and mix it in with the CBD because people are starting to find for a lot of individuals that it's a little bit too much THC. It's a little too racy. It's a little, little too intense, and they're starting to find that they like CBD blends. But they need the terp profiles to get the effect that they really, really want because we know that these terpene profiles are what drive it. And so what I'm seeing is I'm seeing some really interesting um, CBD being woven in with you know a lot of OG lines being intercrossed, a, a lot of a lot of these sexy you know OG Skittle lines, sherbet lines, cookie lines. They're all being hit with with uh, CBD pollen to see if we can find. Things that have those enjoyable palate and presence, but not in such a, a, a powerful form. What, what's kind of cool too is they're starting to create uh, delivery devices like Penform. Uh, the Humboldt brand has a really neat pen that buzzes when you reach, you know, like two and a half milligram dose. And so the the thing about you know using these products is the titration, the dose amount. And so you're starting to see. Um, preloaded pens that when you hit it, it stops hitting after X amount is put through. So you're able to really dial in your dosages. I think that you're you're starting to be able to see CBD is um, we can use it as a, a a balance with THC. So I have pens at my shop that a lab, Puritalinics, they made for me so that anybody that had an overdose on an edible or an overdose on too much uh, BHO, we could use. So I waited until I found someone who had a, a good overdose, and we hit them with the CBD pens 
that were designed to completely counter-effect the high THC, and within seven minutes, it knocked it completely out. So someone went from having a full panic attack to complete stability in seven minutes. Holy crap. I, I have not heard of that product. I mean, we're still, when, when somebody has an over-medicated experience, we're still giving them, you know, beta-caryophylline terpenes, you know, to help bring them down. But, but high CBD. Yeah, high CBD consumed, Nick, it knocks it out. What I'm seeing is high CBD in spray form, and people that have uh, epilepsy. Um, I, I was at a, I was at an event, and a lady fell down with a seizure, and her friend went right over to her bag, pulled out a spray bottle, sprayed it in her mouth, stopped her seizures on the spot, and it was just really an ACDC concentrate. So you're seeing people who have these uh, seizures bringing with them their own medicine, and people who are with them know to use it, and the change in this woman's uh, – the seizure was instantly nullified. And she, after a few minutes, she got up off the floor. We cleaned her up, and she went right back about her normal day, and – I mean, you know, you're seeing CBD being used in some really interesting methodologies to, to help and change uh, existing effects, but it's, being, it's becoming so convenient to use. You know, um, as far as the breeding lines go, um, uh, you know, you, you used this great analogy earlier about, you know, this molecular basket. And originally you were trying to breed out your CBD because you wanted to, to leave more room for more THC and more terpenes. If you're going to top out at 40%, you know, you want to use each percentile towards your goal. Um, what would you see? You know, I mean, I, I personally think everybody, uh, you know, can benefit from CBD even if they're even if they're toking for the THC because the CBD just makes the THC experience uh, that more much more pleasant. But you're right, yeah. the, the CBD strains have got crappy terps. You know, they're just, they're not very pleasant. You got to look, you got to hunt, and so what I do is I hunt through the lines, and then we find of a, a cutting of it that we say, hey, this is something that's palatable. And its chemotype is correct, and its its terp profile is sexy, and it grows well for the grower. And then you have something that people can use and say, hey, I felt really good when I smoked that. And then they go, holy shit, it's a 20% CBD, 10% THC. And so we're, we're, we're I don't tell you what it is when I give it to you because otherwise you won't smoke it. Right. But when I start to give people some of these high CBD strains that have neat terp profiles – you're seeing them gravitate to it. And so we're doing it, Shango. We're getting people to be able to really use cannabis in the way they should have, which is in the way they need to. So, so, so let's talk to a minute specifically for the breeders who are listening who are, you know, at least all over the country listening to the show. But, but you know, we, we've got some international listeners as well. But, but let's talk directly to them. Let's say that they are, um, you know, a historically high THC grower. They've been fascinated but about the story that you've been saying. Obviously, they, they know about CBD. You know, where, where's the, pro, the promise? You know, what, what would you consider people do? You know, like, like try to get their hands on ACDC and then start crossing it with stuff? Or, or well, where, where would you direct them? Well, you got a couple options. You know, access some access some known CBD CBD cultivars so you have clonal material in your library, and then you'll go into a seed stock from CBD Dom stock. So I would I would stick with Ringo stock. He's done. They've done some beautiful work. His his kids are still running his business. So um, you know, work with known lines. And then the problem that you have with CBD that you have to be aware of is that when you do your predicative work on CBD. 
with if I pick, uh, I'll give you an example from THC. So I, I choose a male, and the male tells me it's you know it's it's a month and a half old. I test it; it says it's four percent THC. It's you know point one CBD. It has this ratio. I can pretty much say that that male is going to be that all the way through adulthood and through flower. But CBD is kind of weird. Where sometimes when we identify CBDs as kids, they chemically change they morph so to speak through their process and they end up not being the ratio they should have been from their predicative look so when you're doing predicative you use it to mark out liars but run the damn thing through all the way this way you can double check and make sure everything holds true with what you want and then once it once you know that that cutting holds true all the way through it does it, it doesn't mean that it changes crop to crop it just means that when i look at sometimes with kids i look at a kid the kid's predicted to be a genius well it doesn't work out so you might not want to breed that kid. You should have said, okay, this one's <laughs> going to be a genius. Put a note on him. When he's 22, let's still see if he's smart, and let's see if he can still breed. And, and you have to be honest about that. And so a lot of this is trying to get the lines. And I think for a lot of breeders, it's they say, I want CBD because they hear the number, and they go, ooh, it's a CBD. And the problem is it's not palatable. There's no value to it. it it's, it's long flowering. It's low yield. You know, what you want is you want – you know what's an ideal thing? A good quality – I have a friend that did this in Oregon. He just really did a beautiful job breeding a CBD, a heavy – a Pakistani, a heavy Pakistani into the OG lines until he came up with basically you know, a, a 10, 15 CBD, uh, you know, maybe 8 or 9 THC. So he's got a beautiful CBD dom strain with plenty of THC with that myrcene dominant profile so that he thinks he's smoking OG but he's able to really be a lot more lucid during his day. You know, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing growers who are able to say, "Whoa, I got you. I need cannabis that's not going to wipe me out so hard for my daytime function and CBD too dominant makes you kind of edgy and racy too." So it's really each individual kind of sorted out. And and for me what I what I'm looking for in, in CBD lines is is the ability for the plant to produce a product in flower form that's quality there. If it's quality in flower, it's quality all the way through. Do you mean if as far not, as bag appeal? Yes, in all forms. Mm-hmm. I want it to smell good, look good, be good, because the bottom line is that product still – if, if that product is good there, it's still as good on the other end, it, it, but not vice versa. You want to have a CBD product that can be consumed as flour and not oil because the tremendous number of cannabis smokers who smoke joints don't like pens, so therefore they can't smoke CBD because CBD isn't provided to them in flour form in a form that's quality. So I create it myself so that I can have it at my house or have it for people I know because if we want to smoke during the day but not get blazed, this is the right product. And you want it to be good looking. You want it to be good smoking. It doesn't have – the whole point – the problem, Shango, is when someone put the word medical on weed, the whole concept was diminished. As soon as someone said it's medical, that means it can look like shit. It can taste like shit. It can grow like shit. But because it's medical, nothing else – and the truth of the matter is that's marketing baloney. It all matters. It always matters, and it always will matter. And, and that's how you have to see it from like a plant perspective. 
I don't think I there's mean, any. I'm a, I'm a Nazi on that one. <laughs> I don't think there's any question that we're going to get there. You know, a lot of people, you know, just in casual conversation, will say to me, "Ah, you know, I don't want this CBD stuff. It all, it all sucks, yeah, taste wise." Um, but you know, we've all, we've all been working on hybridizing these flavors of the high THC stuff for decades, right? We've been carefully yes, sculpting yes. these flavors. We just got CBD, you know, six years ago. So literally, so, it's it's brand new. Yeah, it's brand new. We have. Very very little, and we, and the problem is that people aren't looking at it correctly because it's being looked at from a medical perspective only, not from a recreational usage point of view, where you start to weave the CBD, and it would depend on the ter- profile. So your CBD THC ratio totals and profiles would all go into your creation, and I'm telling you, you're going to get some killer high CBD that's going to come out that's just going to be so unbelievably enjoyable to smoke. It's just that they're not looking. Everyone's going the extraction so quick because extraction allows you to take commercial and make it into a product. Extraction cuts craft right out of the loop. Yeah, and and while while you might be coming from medical cannabis plants, we all know that you, there there are certain volatile terps that you lose any even your best extraction. You know. Yes, yes. It's extractions leave something and take something. The whole plant is the way to go for the most balanced effect. And the bot, we and we know this from usage. I mean, this is I'm not arguing because I like one over the other. I, I use all of them, and I know that when I want to keep myself balanced on a cannabinoid level, it has to be whole plant flower because extracts just do not give you a balanced effect over time. Yeah, right on. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, I uh, you know ever since I heard you give just a little you know four minute taste of this story at Terpestival, I knew that I wanted this day to come so that you know we could have you give the the long version of the story and we could get it recorded. So thank you so much for taking some time from your your busy day there at Wonderland to to give us this this oral history. Oh, and my pleasure, Shango. It's, it's been a pleasure to be on Shape and Fire. I, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed hanging out with you. I respect the hell out of you, so it, it was just an honor to be on your show. Oh, thank you, brother. Kevin Jodry is a longtime cannabis cultivator and founder of Wonderland Nursery in Humboldt County, California. You can find out more at wonderlandnursery.com. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolose.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose.